Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roadie on the Horn podcast. Today is May 31st, a time of recording. It's been a little bit since we recorded. Donnie and I have had some stuff going on in our own lives, and we've kind of also been waiting for hockey playoffs to kind of get get into gear and, and wait for some series to kind of wrap up. So we'll definitely be sure to get into that uh, right at the start. Definitely excited for, for the hockey playoffs. But as always, I'm joined by my awesome co-host, a man who has moved around a little bit, California, Pittsburgh, New Jersey, now he's in Colorado, he's hanging out, he's a great man, he's hanging out, super excited to get into some sports conversation. Donnie, how you doing today, man? I'm good. Uh, I'm here representing my Colorado Avalanche, uh, the team that I've picked to win the Stanley Cup. I've got a hat on, you can't see that RK, but just know it's there, it's here, um, it's staying on my head after a wonderful performance uh, last night. But yeah, I'm doing well, just enjoying playoff hockey, you know, only thing I can do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, playoffs have been a lot of fun. As I mentioned, it's been a little bit since we last recorded our last podcast. We were actually doing a playoff preview of all the series. We now know how these series have kind of played out, so excited to get into some of that conversation. Donnie, I'll let you pick. We've now seen the conclusion of all of the series in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Which series do you want to start with? I think we can start with one of the least exciting ones, which was Colorado-St. Louis. Yeah, definitely. That was a quicker series than I think we anticipated. Both of you and I, Donnie, picked Colorado in this series over St. Louis, but we thought St. Louis was going to give a little bit more of a battle to the Avalanche, but the Avalanche have been flying. Nathan McKinnon, he's been insane. Gabriel Landeskog, Miko Rantanen, that top line for the Avalanche has been unbelievable. Cameron Carr as well, of course. So the Avalanche, they've really been rolling, made pretty quick work of the Blues in that series. So uh, what did you see out of that, Donnie? And and, I mean, at this point, do you think anything can stop the Avs? Uh, We know that they're going to be playing Vegas there in the second round and that's gotten going a little bit but um wh- where are your kind of thoughts at with the abs as, as you mentioned they were your cup final pick okay so first off i was just shocked to see and i think you you'd say the same i was shocked to see st louis just couldn't hang with them at all um we saw uh the avalanche put up four six five and five in the four games they played uh giving up one three one and two goals along the way uh, there was no closer game than a three-goal game that entire series. Obviously, with some empty netters here and there, uh, but still, if you get to the chance where you can put an empty netters, that is uh, a, a show of uh, you being the stronger team in the series. And I think it's – I don't know, man. I think I, I think we all expect a little bit more out of St. Louis. It's like, obviously, both you and I were pretty set on the Avs winning the series. I don't think there was any real question there. However – just to see the lack of what they did, the lack of production out of their offense. First off, obviously, you know, missing uh, guys like David Perron doesn't help. He was he's one of, if not their best offensive player, which is surprising to say. But you know, um, you know the veterans always come in clutch. But yeah, I think it was just the fact that they could get so swamped the entire time. Like they they were so outplayed the entire series, and obviously the Avalanche. You know, they won the President's Trophy. Um, that wasn't really shocking. Uh, it's a fantastic team out there, but. I thought at least at home, St. Louis might take one. Like, I, I, didn't, I don't think if I was going to call a series a sweep, this would not have been the series I would have picked to be a sweep. And it doesn't even matter. 
That's the thing. Like you, you could have, you could have been in that, and they still would have won that series. Like I, you could have thrown me in that. I would have. It's like how how nutty is that? Because I mean, you know. And then again, last night, it's like, what's going on? Yeah. I mean, hey, Grubauer's definitely done his job. He's got a 941 so far in the playoffs. So, I mean, if I'm a net, I don't think I'm doing that. I'm not even getting a 941 in EASHL when we play Donnie. So, Grubauer's definitely been, you know, holding his own in his own right there. But, yeah, as I was mentioning, getting into Vegas Golden Knights, very good series with the Minnesota Wild, Donnie. That was a team that you were kind of thinking. You're like, I don't know, Minnesota Wild, they could kind of do some things. Definitely made it an interesting series there with the Golden Knights. Ends up going seven. Vegas ends up coming on top. But uh, what did you see out of the Wild in that series? And then uh, where's kind of your thought process with Vegas now as they match up with the Avs. Well, I don't know. I think the the analysis basically with that in that Vegas series is, um, you know, you could tell they were missing some scoring depth, especially without Pacioretty in the first couple of games. I think he played Game Seven was his first game. I could be wrong on that. Um, but yeah, you know, when you're missing your leading goal scorer, you're definitely gonna have some issues, and it, it could it was very very apparent to them um, in certain games, especially. Um, Game one was really bad for them. They looked absolutely clueless on offense. In game six, when that um, they got shut out, uh, they looked like they really didn't know what they were doing offensively. And that's a big, I, I don't know, that's a big question mark that you can still keep with because you shouldn't look so poor offensively when you only like when you're only missing one or two guys. Like you should still have guys step up. It's not like we're talking about a Vegas team that doesn't have any other scorers on it. It's like obviously we've seen guys like Stone and Carlson and all these talented pieces that have both offensively and defensively put up some numbers. And then for them to look uh, either really good or really bad, no in-between, uh, even coming into the Colorado series in last night's game, they, they were absolutely outclassed offensively and defensively. Uh, it's really just, it's, it's, I was curious. I didn't think that it was going to go seven necessarily against Minnesota because uh, we've talked about Minnesota so many times on this podcast. And anybody that listens to every podcast um, will tell you, yeah, they are the, our definition of a middling team that will not do damage, will not make a run. And I was I was surprised, I think, and I think you were probably as surprised as I was considering I don't think either of us thought it was going to go seven, and I didn't think Minnesota was really that good. Like, I, obviously, they had a great regular season compared to what we expected, but I didn't think they were that good. Yeah, I think that's definitely a fair analysis on that. Yeah, I didn't really think they were going to make, you know, too much of a series out of Vegas, but, um, you know, they were kind of bouncing. They played Laner a little bit, mostly Flurry, but, um, you know, I think kind of some of the depth was I was a little bit surprised. I thought that Vegas maybe in the regular season had a little bit more of it and it would come through for them, but... I think maybe that was kind of an area that the Wild were able to expose. I feel like the Wild had, you know, kind of four consistent lines. There were some games where Zach Parise was getting scratched, but he was even out there for some of it. So I think that was kind of an area where we saw as the series go on, the Wild were able to take over and, uh, you know, dominate for some stretches. But uh, overall, it was Vegas moving on. That was kind of the series that we were anticipating. You were saying that, you know, it could be good enough for a conference final or the cup final between the Avs and the Golden Knights. So that's definitely a good series. So I think we can bounce around the NHL now a little bit. We've seen some other series kind of wrap up. I think... One that really kind of surprised me, at least in terms of the duration of the series, was Boston and Washington. I was surprised that Boston made as quick of work of the Caps as they did. But, wow, the Bruins, they've really been rolling, as we were saying in our preview, that once they got Taylor Hall, they've really started to click on offense and uh, really putting up a lot of production. And, and in front of Tuka Rass as well, has played pretty solid. So, uh, the Bruins and the Capitals, uh, that was an interesting series, Donnie. Where you, I know you were surprised that that one didn't go in as much depth in, as that one as well. But, uh, where's kind of your thought with the Bruins? Now. I thought that was coming in the playoffs. It was a top two series that we had amongst teams. And I, I think you probably agree with me. It's like, these are two teams that you expect yeah. to be contenders every year. I mean, Boston has been so good for so long and the Capitals are a consistent top of the either Metro or this year's Eastern division. 
every year without fail. There's never any question about it. And you could definitely tell the defensive, you know, the, the, they've definitely gone away from their whole, um, you, know, you know, what they were used to build, uh, being built upon, I guess. It's like defensively, they did not look great in a lot of those games. They, they looked like they were a little bit outclassed and outmatched. And then goaltending was really tough, too. The goaltending was not great. Um, the only goalie win, the only win they got out of that series came from Craig Anderson, which is not not what you're looking for. Um, obviously, you know, shouts yeah. to Craig Anderson. He's <laughs> had a fantastic career. He's been in the league for probably 20 years, 15 years now. But when you when your only win is your third string goaltender in game one, and then you just you proceed to reel off four losses in a row against a Boston team that is is fantastic in their own right. No question there. I definitely thought the Capitals would do more. I'm not shocked that Boston won because their offense has been tremendous, and they are obviously a defensively um, a very, very apparently strong team. You can see it as soon as they step on the ice. Even their depth pieces, um, they definitely produce. But yeah, uh, for that to be such a lopsided series, I was shocked. Yeah, I was as well. And yeah, wow, the Bruins, they've really been playing uh, a lot better. So they will be playing the New York Islanders, who they had <clears throat> excuse me, an interesting series with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Very physical series in that one. That one was definitely an interesting one to watch uh, for the Islanders to come out on top. Both of us had picked Pittsburgh uh, initially in that matchup, who uh, was pretty aggressive and trying to acquire pieces for this year. So they're going to be in definitely an interesting spot going to the offseason a couple of years in a row with first-round exits for the Penguins. But we'll focus on the teams moving on here. Islanders. I think both of us had picked, Donnie, that we thought the winner of this Bruins and Cap series would be moving on. So that would mean that both of us think that Boston should be able to defeat the Islanders in this series. But uh, after having seen the Isles go through the Penguins, any kind of thoughts or changes uh, towards what you think about the Islanders as they take on the Bruins? The Islanders are a good team. You know, I'm not going to argue that. Uh, obviously, it's I'm biased as a Rangers fan. I'm not going to sit there and be like, I'm not going to jerk off the Islanders team um, for, for a lack of a better term there. However... You know, you're definitely going to run into a stronger team in Boston. I think there, there's no real question that as a full team, uh, Boston is just better than Pittsburgh. And, I mean, we saw, Tristan Jari was just abysmal in that series. That's that's something that, you know, everybody with their um, – everybody who can watch the game of hockey, anybody with any analysis would say Tristan Jari is the reason they lost. Um, he had one of the worst goals saved above, above average uh, numbers in a series in the history of um, analytics, advanced stats. I think he was like a minus 11 um, through six games, which is just incredibly shocking considering I don't I didn't think Tristan Jari was that bad of a goaltender, honestly. Like I, I you, you may have, uh, you may differ in opinion here, but I thought he was like a, a pretty middle tier starter, like a tier three starter in the league, which you can definitely win yeah. with. And he looked absolutely clueless the entire time. He let in some absolute stinkers. It's not like the Islanders score pretty goals most of the time. They're, they're a very grind them out hockey team, um, which is fine if it works for their style. And, and But Jari was just letting in some absolutely abysmal goals. And it's like, you know, the Islanders are definitely going to face, uh, they're going to face a bigger challenge with Tuka Rask, who is as solid as they come in terms of playoff goaltenders. So um, it, it'll definitely be a we'll see. Um, I, I This is a series I could see going six, seven, like super easily, no question about it, especially considering both of these teams do not really lose at home. They, they are pretty decent home teams. Um, but yeah, I was just, I was shocked to see how bad the Penguins looked 
with Tristan Jari in that it's just it's got to be demoralizing as hell when your goaltender lets in everything. Yeah, no doubt. I'll touch on the goalies <clears throat> in this as well because yeah, I was with you. I was a little bit surprised to see how poorly Yari's playing. But I had also mentioned that you know Pittsburgh's defense. I also thought there were times where uh, I feel like they could have been adding a little bit more there while they were more focusing on their forward core. So um, that was also something that the Islanders were able to expose a little bit. But for the Islanders' sake, I thought it was interesting too. Kind of as we went into the playoffs, we weren't really sure is it going to be more Sorokin, Varlamov. They kind of both played throughout the regular season, but really it's been Ilya Sorokin, the young goalie for the Isles, that has really kind of stepped up four wins already in the playoffs. Nine. 34 save percentage at time of recording right now. So I uh, definitely like what I've seen out of Sorokin for the Islanders, which definitely gives them a little bit more stability. And uh, yeah, as you said, they're definitely a team that's kind of interesting how they're built for the playoffs. Like they really have that depth and kind of just like, all right, we'll just get everybody rolling high structure. So uh, that's an interesting matchup there with Boston, who I think maybe has a little bit more skill uh, up front with some of their forwards, especially after getting Taylor Hall and uh, a lot of their other forwards has been playing really well as well. Obviously their top line uh, with Bergeron, uh, Marchand and Pasternak is still obviously one of the best in the entire league. So that's definitely an interesting series. I think Boston's going to end up continuing to move on. But yeah, I think it's going to be a grind out series as well. So uh, we can move on. I think one of my favorite series that we were both expecting to see, uh, maybe Carolina had a little bit more trouble than then with Nashville than we thought. And maybe Tampa Bay made a little bit quicker work out of Florida than we thought. But it is the matchup that we thought between Carolina and Tampa Bay here in the second round. Another really, really high quality series. So uh, Donnie, what's kind of your thoughts as we officially have it now here in the second round? Um. Uh, as we said before, it's it's the least surprising thing in the world. I think. Um, I, I still think Tampa is the best team uh, in that division. Uh, I think Tampa is going to win that series. And and you know I I don't think it's necessarily a a knock to a team like Florida, for example, uh, to lose to a team like Tampa. I I I'm sure they're they're demoralized and very very upset that they could not put on a better show or at least take it to the point where they got to seven. Um, but I mean, it's like as you know, we haven't really talked about it. But as it's been talked about on on social media consistently for the last, uh, I don't, it's got to be two three weeks now, at least, or maybe earlier on either. Um, Tampa's, you know, the whole LTIR thing. It's it's interesting for sure. It's definitely um, it. it I, I think they're sixteen million dollars over something like that. I, I could be wrong. Um, somebody will fact check me. I'm sure. Um, but they they are a tremendous amount of money over the cap because of the LTIR. Um, what they've done with you know, uh. Obviously Kucherov, but Stamkos as well, and other guys. Um, they've definitely finessed their way to get to a point where they have a little bit of a competitive advantage. And for me, I'm not necessarily one of those people that's going to be like, "Yeah, this is just stupid. This is dumb. They're ruining the sport." Because in reality, I th- and I think you'll agree with me. If there's a rule that helps you, like like get to this point, why wouldn't you use it? Why wouldn't you take advantage of it? Especially because right. Tampa, it's not like they have a benefit necessarily from not having these guys in the regular season. They finished third in the division, right? Like. We're not talking about a Tampa team that ran over everybody, and then oh, suddenly they get back two of the best players in the game. Um, but yeah, there's that, and then Carolina. Um, I was skeptical because uh, because Carolina they did not necessarily put away Nashville in a way that I was like totally comfortable with, and I, it, like they they had a lot of like I think the last four games were one goal games, um, which which I mean you know not not really surprising it's playoff hockey, but. Carolina definitely, they showed some resilience, they showed some toughness, and they showed some grit. They showed that they had more to the team than I thought they did. And and I'm one to ad- admit that I was not big on Carolina this year. Um, I didn't think they were going to be this good, and I didn't think that they were they deserved necessarily a, a series against Tampa Bay in the second round. I think that's that's tough for them. Um, you know, you end up having one of the best seasons we've, we've seen out of a team in a long time. It's super surprising. And then they get to this point, and now you have to play Tampa Bay, who's literally like, a, a potential dynasty in the making here. 
yeah, good analysis on that. Yeah, Tampa, I'll touch on their, their salary cap. Their cap hit right now is $98 million and the ceiling upper end of the <laughs> salary cap is $81 million. They're using $17 million in that That's LTIR. That's so ridiculous. As you use. Yeah, because you're right, because it doesn't apply in the playoffs, which is very interesting. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> Not sure if there's any shenanigans going on there, but uh, I mean, it all obviously works out with the it's, league, so um, it's something they're allowed it, to do. I think it's something that that will be there will be a CBA. Um, something's going to be fixed in that, especially let's say they win the cup this year. People are going to be pissed. With I think it's with reason. People are going to be pissed, but I'm not really one to to necessarily say, "Oh, this is bad for the sport." I think yeah, he's, they're just smarter than everybody else. Tampa's been playing the game better than everybody else has for how long now? It's been at least four or five years, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's even very apparent. Like a lot of the guys that are still on Tampa are guys they've had for so long. Guys like Killorn, Tyler Johnson, Andre Pilat. Like, that. you know, they've had a lot of that core for a long time. So they've been able to really kind of find their way and navigate around it. So I think definitely kind of credit to them on that. So, um, yeah, I agree with you what you said. You know, tough matchup for Carolina. I think they, um, you know, maybe struggled a little bit more with Nashville. You know, some of those double overtime games could have gone either way and maybe they would have been out of there a little bit quicker. But Alex Nedeljkovic has definitely looked solid for Carolina. That's something that I I'm definitely excited to see. I definitely had hope for Nedeljkovic as kind of being that guy for Carolina that could solidify the net that it seems like they've been missing for so long. Like they were Carolina always seemed to be the team that, well, they could, they could be good. They've got good advanced stats, good defense, you know, some depth, but uh, they were never really kind of able to break through. Didn't really have that consistent presence in net. So it's nice to see that Nedeljkovic has been able to provide that uh, for them a little bit. So not sure it's enough to get past Tampa. I think uh, after seeing how they played out in the first round, I think Tampa's definitely got uh, a little bit of an edge now that they seem to really all be rolling. It seemed right off the jump as soon as Kudrov came back, it's like, all right, yeah, we're going to have to fear Tampa again uh, with their loaded team. So good analysis there on that series. That's definitely a really good one. We'll touch on the last one, the North Division, the funniest division in hockey. Donnie and I were like, if there's going to be any division that's going to, some weird stuff's going to happen, it's going to be this one. And what do you know? That's exactly what we saw. The Edmonton Oilers swept by the Winnipeg Jets. Not anyone on this planet predicted a sweep. Maybe you picked the Jets, but you didn't pick it in a sweep. So that was definitely a surprise. And then on the other end, another Toronto Maple Leafs collapse in the playoffs. Who's surprised? Definitely not us, really, even though we picked Toronto. But, I mean, now that we know it, yeah, I'm not really that surprised. So, Montreal defeating them in seven games. So, we're going to get Montreal and Winnipeg in the second round. So, definitely an interesting matchup there. So, Donnie, take whichever series you want to talk about here. A lot of things that we were surprised about uh, over in Canada. Um, I guess, you know, I think we'll start with Edmonton-Winnipeg. Um, just, just in general, it, it's like, you know, you have to feel bad so like we've talked about this before, like Mike Trout-esque. It, it, the comparison just rings true more and more every time. Uh, as the months months go by, as the years go by, um, it just rings more and more true how mismanagement and, and just, you know, being let down. There's a lot of letdown in sports. We see it all the time. And Connor McDavid, as much as he can do, it's like that team is just so abysmal at, at, around him. You have to feel bad for him. And obviously, Leon Dreisaitl, who, who put on a show in the series, played very well. Um but it, it just it comes down to the fact that Winnipeg was a deeper team, and I think you know I, I got caught up in the hype. I think everybody gets caught up in the hype of Connor McDavid and them. But it really goes to show you, playoff hockey is the best indicator that you need a full team. You need to have a it's a team sport, and and you can't you're not going to get anywhere if you don't have the entire team uh, bought in and producing. And the Oilers didn't have the entire team buying in and producing. It's like first off. We've talked about it, but the goaltending was just trash. It was really, really bad. Obviously, a, a pairing of Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen is bottom three in the league, bottom five in the league in terms of goaltending, which is, you know, not what you're looking for. Whereas Winnipeg, out of nowhere, is like, oh, yeah, we're, we're here. Like, this, this is ours. And I, I think 
I mean, I think you were higher on Winnipeg than I was, just in general. I think you like the Jets. Obviously, their defense is not great, um, but they have a lot of good offensive pieces. I didn't think they stood a chance, um, but uh, they were they were the most disappointing team in Canada for about a week, and you know that, that's that's big for them. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I even really wasn't all that high on the Jets. I was kind of surprised exactly. to see that. Um, but I will say, like, Josh Morrissey, that's definitely a guy that I feel like really kind of stepped up in that series for Winnipeg. You know, I was kind of surprised about that back end. Like, what are they going to do? But I thought Morrissey actually did a pretty silly job uh, for the Jets in some of those games. And then, as you were saying there with the goalie situation, I mean, Mike Smith, I think he had his moments in that series where he was okay. He ended up in the playoffs with a 9-12 save percentage, which obviously doesn't tell the whole story. But, I mean, some of those overtime goals were from way out. Definitely a Paul Stasny goal. I mean, uh, uh, you know, you, some of those goals. Yeah, you, you really want to make sure that you're having those in an overtime game in the playoffs. Like, that's such a big moment that for your goalie to really kind of come up short there is pretty tough for Edmonton. And as you said, like, they've done this now, second year in a row where they're doing this. So uh, didn't address their goalie situation. So um, that's kind of the situation there for Edmonton. So I think they definitely got to address um, the goalie situation, obviously. Like, and even still their defense and, and depth scoring is still not to the level where they can really be kind of contending in the playoffs. And then on the other side with Montreal and Toronto, another first round exit for Toronto and uh you know you could maybe look at the goalie situation but I actually thought Jack Campbell played pretty solid in the series overall I think that um you know Toronto just kind of came up short like Winnipeg or uh Montreal excuse me for their for their example their depth scoring really kind of came through for them and some of those overtimes guys like Suzuki and Kakanyemi with overtime goals uh to kind of bring them back into that series so I think that was something that I kind of thought you know maybe Montreal could kind of break through because this Carey Price was really good as well on the back end for between the Pies forms so um that's kind of how that things unfolded there but Toronto, I mean, I think they're, again, in such a tough spot where um, they still got to find a way to kind of maneuver things even when they're, um, you know, right up against the salary cap as well. God, it's got to be depressing to be, uh, first off, a Canadian hockey fan in general. Because you, you know, it's like, so the winner of um, Montreal-Winnipeg will probably end up playing either the Abs or Vegas. I think that's that's how that ends up working out. And that is that could be just a train wreck. Um, but... You know, Carey Price. Yeah, props to Carey Price, man. I, I talk a lot of trash about Carey Price. I, I didn't think that he was uh, nearly as good as he, he played in the series. And I don't I don't think if you know, obviously I don't think Carey Price is on the on the you know, on the level that he used to be as as a perennial the best goalie in the league by a significant amount, or at least very, very close up there all the time. Um I and he definitely didn't look as if he was super good the entire series. Like the the couple games that Toronto did end up stringing together, I think they won three in a row and then lost three in a row at the end. Uh, he did not look like a fantastic goaltender. He had some issues, and the team in general had some issues. Um, but I think you, you I, I'm going to give all the credit in the world to Carey Price for this one, especially um, tonight's game, Game 7. Carey Price was fantastic. Carey Price was the difference maker. Carey Price was out there uh, making huge stops. And, and first off, can just you don't see goaltenders who control the puck and control rebounds as well as Carey Price does, and I think that's really important for a Montreal team that um, – either very young or not super talented. Uh, we've talked about this over and over. You, you say it all the time, literally a bunch of third liners, a bunch of second and third liners, just, just yeah. out there having <laughs> a great time, which is fine. I mean, and, and they proved that it can work because they went out there and beat um, Austin Matthews, who had just a torrential offensive goal scoring pace this year. He was tremendous. He was awesome. Um, and they really shut him down, or at least they slowed him down. William Nylander was the best player in that series, and William Nylander is, is the fourth or fifth highest paid player. He's still making a lot of money, but he's not being paid nearly as high as Matthews or Martin or any of those guys who... Um, Tavares, yeah. T Tavares, you know, that's definitely, that's tough. You know, you really, I I'm still hoping that he will be able to make a full recovery. Uh, if anybody hasn't seen that, you know, obviously good to go look up Tavares' injury. That was, I I'd say, one of the more fluky things that we've seen in hockey in a long time. Like, just, just crazy... Uh, 
I don't even know how it really happened. Like he ended up just, it was very, very scary to watch him on the ice and hopefully he makes a return. Uh, maybe Toronto wins the series if John Tavares is healthy. You never know. But yeah, you know, you definitely have to give props to Carey Price and just the Habs in general. They found scoring from pe- random pieces, guys that I didn't really expect to put up offense. Like Corey Perry, man. What's up with Corey Perry randomly? Just, he scored in game six and game seven. Um, the game, game seven goal ended up being the game winning goal. Like props to Corey Perry, man. Yeah, I, I think that is literally the reason why Mark Bergeron would acquire a guy like Corey Perry. Oh, absolutely. He's got that veteran presence, and he would come through in a playoff series. Like, literally, as soon as any kind of signing is made like that with, like, a big-time veteran player like Corey Perry, a guy who's had, you know, a lot of success in scoring goals, you know, for him to come up, that's, uh, I'm sure, exactly what Montreal could have hoped for out of that. And then just one more point on this. We talked a lot about hockey on this podcast, but just kind of going into that depth scoring a little bit more, I think kind of like a big reason why that really shows up in the playoffs, as you kind of touched on, I think this Montreal-Toronto series is a perfect example. It's like matchups are, are so elevated in the playoffs I feel like that's something that in the regular season it's like oh yeah obviously you know you want to take their top center and play your top D pair against them make sure but in a playoff series where you're playing the same team and getting to know their personnel so well I mean making sure that you have your top D pair in the, in the right center line against you know a, a line like Austin Matthews line where you have a superstar power line that now you need the rest of your team to kind of step up if, if that kind of line's full focus is like all right let's just stop this team from scoring this top line then you need the rest of your lines your second your third your fourth line to be generating offense so I think that kind of really kind of shows like why we kind of have this idea that like yeah depth scoring is so important and I think this series is just a perfect example of uh why that kind of really shows up in the playoffs yeah you you're you hit the nail on the head you could not have said anything more perfect there and I think you know I, I'm not necessarily a big Habs fan I don't think they're that great I don't think they're going to make a run I'm surprised that they even beat Toronto to be honest and I think you know, Toronto may have, if anything, Toronto gave a blueprint to the future teams who will play Montreal, whether that be Winnipeg or if they end up beating Winnipeg. They gave them a blueprint on how to beat them. Um, you know, uh, it looked pretty bleak for Montreal for a, for a while there. They did not perform to the standards that you would expect, especially they ended up winning game one in a very, very close game. And then game two, they got absolutely swamped. But you can't allow that to happen. And um, they're lucky they didn't let it get out of hand because after game four, when they lost 4-0, the series looked bleak. It looked over for them. It looked really bad. And and for a team to come back, it shows a lot of resilience, but it's very hard to be resilient for a 16-game, to win 16 games. It's very hard to do that. I don't think we've seen a team um, just, just consistently come back down 3-1 and end up winning series, especially a team like Montreal, who it, they are the epitome of just depth scoring. That's all they got. That's really what they're working with. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Game ones are so important. And, you know, had they not won game one, they, they don't win the series. You know, obviously that's that's as guaranteed as they come. But um, it definitely just – it's going to be interesting to watch, especially because I think they ended up with a, a matchup that may be a little more favorable for them with Winnipeg instead of a, a Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl out there wreaking havoc. Um, I would not have been super uh, – super thrilled watching Montreal's decor, like watching Shea Weber try to match up against Connor McDavid would have been a disaster. Um, obviously Winnipeg's got some great players still. So, I mean, you know, really just, uh, you can't really count them out, but yeah, it's, it's had you told me that it would have been Montreal Winnipeg. I would have been like, yeah, you need to get off whatever, whatever you're on and call <laughs> yeah. it a day here. Yeah, definitely missed on the Jets. I think the Jets and the Islanders, I, I, I was listening back to, to our last podcast before uh, we recorded this one, so that's why I've had a lot of kind of references to, to our last one of our preview because it's interesting to hear what I was saying and then see how things planned out. And both the Islanders and the Jets, I was saying, it's like, well, these teams, they've really kind of struggled here towards the end of the end of the regular season, but they've had good seasons overall. Both of them, they're able to get past as playoff hockey. It's a different animal. Everyone always says that. So even though those two teams were kind of slumping getting into the playoffs, the Islanders and the Jets, they're both able to move on um, for, for different 
different reasons in their series. So um, definitely interesting to, to hear on that one. So a lot of good hockey conversation. We'll get back into it in a little bit with some of our questions. But I have two other points that I want to bring up here with Donnie again from our last podcast. I want to touch on again. The Chicago Cubs, okay? I need to touch on the Chicago Cubs here real quick because our last podcast, we're talking about, wow, the Chicago Cubs, they're super inconsistent. They're, you know, this is kind of what we expected. And wow, the Chicago Cubs have really just kind of popped off in the last two weeks specifically. They've just been incredible. And I think really the only kind of change because we had mentioned that, you know, the lineup had been pretty solid. I think even a guy like Jock Peterson I could now throw in there as he's, you know, been pretty solid now as an everyday player for the Cubs, been a good bat. So their lineup's been pretty solid. But really where we've kind of seen that switch for the Cubs is out of their bullpen. Their bullpen has actually been really, really solid as of late. Guys like Ryan Tapera and Dylan Maples, you know, they, they just kind of have been finding some random guys that have been able to kind of get outs and, and be productive out of their bullpen. So I think that's really kind of been a driving force in terms of why the Cubs have been able to be a little bit better. Still, you know, have reserve reservations. I don't think the Cubs, you know, are going to be contenders in the National League. I definitely don't think that they're going to uh, be doing that. But we we're talking about, you know, playoff potential. You know, they're obviously in, they're in first place at the time of recording in the NL Central. Will that last? You know, I'm still pretty skeptical. I still think that St. Louis and even, you know, Cincinnati, I still think is pretty solid, uh, at least in terms of their lineup. So uh, the Cubs definitely still have an uphill battle, but they've been really good over the last two weeks. Yeah, you know, I, as somebody who has multiple Cubs on my fantasy baseball team, I have I have grown accustomed to watching the Cubs play baseball. <laughs> and they're interesting. It's definitely interesting, especially considering, I think in the beginning of the year, we saw their starters were not very consistent. We were seeing a lot of issues out of your guy, Kyle Hendricks, who you absolutely, he's like your favorite player right. almost. Uh, he's been much My more God. consistent and much more, in general, just control uh, controlling of the game. Obviously, against Pittsburgh a couple of days ago, he gave up a couple homers in, in an inning um, later in his appearance. But other than that, it's like when you have a guy like Kyle Hendricks who is underperforming so significantly, I think that's something that we really could have attributed to their struggles early on. It's like starting pitching is very important. Obviously, you talked about the bullpen. They haven't given up very many runs recently, which is huge. You... As a Cubs fan, you've won five series in a row. You've got to be sitting there so thrilled. Considering, I think most Cubs fans are like, yeah, this is going to be just an awful year. Yeah, it's definitely uh, encouraging to see how they've been playing as of late. They've definitely been, you know, taking care of business. That play they had against the Pirates for Javi <laughs> Baez uh, made the guy throw home. I mean, oh my gosh, literally. There, there are so many things about that play that just make me go insane. But um, yeah, I think we imagine, can just kind of leave it. That 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 play just gets me so riled up. Imagine that. being at that baseball game as a Pirates fan and like rooting on the team and watching that happen. I, I would be so if you're like a diehard Pirates fan, I'd be staying there so depressed. It's because it's such a culmination of how Pirates baseball has been too. Like it's such that play right there is the definition of the last couple of years of the Pirates. So you know, tough. But yeah, you know, I, I'm growing into a Cubs fan here. I, I'm very supportive of the Cubs. Uh, you know, need Rizzo to play. Uh, that, that's all I'll say here. Yeah, there you go. It hasn't even been the starting pitching. The starting pitching's been okay. It's been all out of the bullpen. So, Which is huge. I mean, we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see on that. You brought up fantasy too, Donnie. That was actually my other point before we get into questions. Uh, you said in our last one, we did kind of our fantasy baseball recap. You're like, I'm 1-4 and four at the time, and you think I'll be closer to 500 when we next record. But guess what? I'm 4-4 four and four right now. I'm exactly 500. So shout out to you, Donnie, for believing in my fantasy baseball team. Thank you. There was no reason for me not to. That's the thing. It's like when you draft well, <laughs> it's a long season. It's like obviously we have a couple people in our, in our league that will probably not listen to this podcast um you know they're stressed out about the records they're unhappy about how their seasons have went but this is fantasy sports man it's so random the randomness is incredible um and you know i could have at the beginning of the year i would have said you would have had a top three team so you know the fact that you started off poorly and now you're 500 and and right there in the race it does not shock me in the slightest there you go still a long way to go very early in our season we've completed week eight out of 20 
So, as you said, very long season, a lot of baseball still to play, a lot of injuries to be had and home runs to be hit. So there will be a lot of things that change that. Just thought I'd mention that. Last point, uh, we got a question on our last one about me winning a fantasy hockey league. Well, I ended up choking <laughs> that fantasy hockey league. I lost, but I actually have kind of a gripe because ESPN decided that they were going to end the fantasy hockey matchups on the Wednesday at the end of the regular season, but the Vancouver Canucks still had games because of COVID. And, and so, like, I had Canucks on my team. I had Brock Besser and Bo Horvat and Thatcher Demko, who would have got points, but ESPN decided to end the matchup. Ridiculous. You know, it is what it is. Ridiculous. It is what it is. I lost. I, I had a conversation with Scotty G about this today when I saw him, who was the commissioner of this league, and I voiced my I, my displeasure, but, you know, I'm willing to move on. So I just thought, you know, for anyone who listened to our, our last one, I thought I'd uh, clear the air on that. So, uh, yeah, fantasy fantasy chat. You know, I, I'm all for it in the summer. Donnie and I love playing fantasy baseball. So um, even if you guys are not a member of our fantasy baseball league, hopefully you can at least enjoy. Maybe you guys like playing fantasy as well. You never know. Uh, so, yeah, good stuff there. But, Donnie, we can get into some questions now from our great listeners. It's a lot of fun. So we'll start with Scotty G. Why not? A Roth Podcast listener captain at ScottyG250 on Instagram. First question he's got. Who is the best player to wear the number one in all four major leagues, the MLB, the NBA, the NHL, and the NFL? So I'll share my answers on this first. So I'll just go league by league. NBA, players to wear number one, Oscar Robertson. That's what I'm going to say. Man, just put up triple levels before it was cool, way before Russell Westbrook. So shout out to Oscar Robertson. NFL, I'm going to go with Warren Moon on this one. He was a good quarterback for a while for the Oilers. So shout out to Warren Moon. MLB, I'm going with Ozzie Smith. Uh, St. Louis Cardinals shortstop. He was really good for a while. And then NHL, last one for me. I'm going with Jacques Plante, who was a goalie for the NHL with Montreal, New York Rangers, Toronto Maple Leafs uh, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And he won six Stanley Cups, so not too bad. Seven Vezina trophies as well for Jacques Plante. So there you go. There's my four names of players who wore number one in the four major sports leagues. So you wore number one, and you are number one on my list. Top tier of, of players who wear number one. There you go. That's that's my analysis, Donnie. You feel free to share your your. I list am here. totally supportive of all those. Uh, we need to have a quick uh, honorable mention to Derrick Rose, Chicago Bulls edition. Um, yep. That no that doubt. is just Derrick Rose may have been like a top fifteen, top ten basketball player of all time had he stayed healthy, uh, and I truly believe that. And, and that is something that you could not convince me otherwise, considering um, he is one of the players that shaped me into a basketball fan. Just watching him play basketball was. Um, special like like kobe-esque special like that's how good he was so you know i, I would have would have loved to see um that that's the guy if you asked me if you asked is there any injured player that you would love to see a full healthy career out of he's got to be very close to, to number one on that list yeah and ironically on that i think d rose was a great honorable mention i definitely was going to mention that as well chicago d rose was goat and another guy who were number one in the nba was penny hardaway who was another guy that fits in that category very true. Of, if you wish a player had you know great health so uh, maybe if you're a point guard, you know, maybe stay away from number one unless you're Oscar Robertson, who did it before school. I don't know. Just a thought there. NBA definitely had the most number of players who were number one, a lot of point guards on there. So um, there we go. Good question from Scott. Funny, funny numbers question that, that he loves. His next thought was, are we going to see another Maple Leafs meltdown tonight? And guess what? Yes. We already saw. Yes, so, we did. <laughs> yes, you are indeed going to see that. Not a surprise. So uh, Leafs unable to make it past the first round again. So there you go. Uh, hockey thought from Scott is next one. This one has actually a good question for Donnie here. Why is Albert Pujols a Dodger right now? What do you think? Um, injuries. I think injuries opened up a spot for him. Obviously, the Dodgers' depth this year, coming into the year, was not great. 
um, and it did not. It, it's gotten considerably worse. Obviously, you've seen guys like McKinstry and Bellinger who just came back, but Edwin Rios is out for a while. He was the de facto bench first baseman, I would say, um, and, and he's he's no longer there. Um, they've had guys like Sheldon Noisy and DJ Peters who are both young prospects who probably should not be on the team yet, and. I don't know. I've seen a lot of people complain about the fact that he is on the team or like that he's still in the league, that he's still vibing around. But like you, I don't know if you can really turn down a veteran talent like that. Like it's really, it's, it's very hard to convince me that getting, not getting out of pools would, would be a, is a good plan to stay away from him. It's like, obviously you're not going to get the great performance out of him. You already know what you're getting out of pools. Like, I think there's, there's no really like, nobody's going to argue with you saying, Oh, our pool is still a, still a top five. Like, no. Albert Pujols is a very mid player at this point, but to have veteran leadership, it just it's just another guy. It's a, it's a player coach basically. It's a guy that can come off the bench, will hit hit the ball a couple of times. He's got a couple homers. Um, he's hit the ball pretty well. Uh, he's in like two thirty, two forty as a Dodger, which is you know not great, but you know you can't complain about that. Um, but yeah, I think it's just having that type of talent. You know, I don't think there's any team that really would have turned down having him on a minimum contract, um, just sitting on the bench. You know, reviving out, teaching players like every time anybody comes back to the dugout and sits like the albert albert goes over he talks to them they have a conversation and if you're going to take advice from anybody in mlb who's done it albert pool is a great example of, of just that guy who has done literally everything so um no reason not to i guess yeah good analysis on that for the dodgers perspective it's kind of weird how he left the angels obviously the angels season has kind of turned sideways they haven't really had the success that they want even though they have otani and trout you know it's always how it works with the angels but uh you know pool holes he, he goes to the dodgers he's still kind of that part-time player that he was with the angels but just on a much more of a contender so maybe that's something that pool holes at age 41 was more kind of looking for um since he's still being a part-time bat so um yeah interesting thought yeah as you said donnie has been kind of decent since he got to the dodgers a decent guy you just bring him off the bench as a, as a pinch hit late in the game at, at kind of worst and uh i think that you know they they'll, they'll definitely take that at this point yeah i don't think any really i don't know if the cubs had brought in our pools would you be mad like i don't think so i think you'd be pretty you'd be it's it just having a guy it's like i'm surprised that he didn't end up on the cardinals it just it felt like um one of those like movie made, you know, he'd end up, he'd spend his career with the Cardinals and then he'd go to the Angels for a bit and then he'd come back and hit a game seven World Series home run to the Cardinals to win it. And it would just be like the the, the story. Uh, it'd be like a Disney Channel movie. But, you know, having him in the Dodgers, I will not complain. As, as a lifelong Dodgers fan, uh, just knowing that Albert Pujols in, in Jersey in five, 10 years, I'll be saying Albert Pujols, Dodgers legend. That's all that matters to me. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, another baseball thought from Scott on this one. Uh, funny phrase thought here, but he says, why should legendary DUI driver Tony La Russa be fired immediately and never be tried in baseball ever again? So yeah, there's a lot going on with Tony La Russa, that whole Yerman Mercedes thing where he told him to take the pitch on the 3-0, but he hit a home run instead. There's obviously a lot of people that have kind of talked about that already, but I will say not really defending Tony La Russa entirely, but I mean, the White Sox have had a lot of success. I mean, obviously that roster is stacked. So it makes sense that like a great baseball team is just going out there and playing red. But, I mean, I think the manager deserves at least a little bit of credit. So the fact that the White Sox have been playing so well and have been having such good results so far early in this year, I think that defends Tony La Russa at least a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, it always seemed kind of that it was a weird fit and the whole Yerman Mercedes things was strange to me as well. Yeah, it just it comes to a point where I think baseball in general has advanced past how the game was 20, 30, 40 years ago when guys like Tony La Russa, Dusty Baker, guys like that were so prevalent in the sport. Um it's it's very interesting to me. Um, I I don't, I don't know. I think the fact that you are condemning your players for hitting home runs is a little bit shocking. You would think that he, if if anything, he would be excited to have a player like Yerman who is not 
anywhere near talked about. Nobody nobody really said anything about this guy. And now he's like a mainstay in the lineup. He's hitting balls with a terrific exit velocity every time he's up to bat. It's like he's he's been very, very good, albeit he's cooled off a little bit to be expected. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's really any reason for Tony La Russa to be in baseball at this point. I don't, I don't know. First off, the whole the, the fact that they've you know had manager turnover the last couple of years is weird to me considering it's a very young team. Um, and, and putting in Tony La Russa, who is the, the furthest thing from a young coach, um, is also pretty pretty shocking to me. But again, you know, it's like he's got history. Uh, he's the easy hire. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very, very strange situation. And if I'm a White Sox fan, I'm probably not very comfortable having him as the manager considering he doesn't know the rules of the game. Um, but that's fine. You know, it's like Tony La Russa, just, just make sure you have a bench coach and knows what he's doing. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I, as I mentioned, I mean, the White Sox have had success over this year, but I'm still surprised that Larissa is still there. And yeah, as you said, uh, I think con- condemning a player for hitting a home run, you know, no, you should be, I should be instructing you to hit home runs. We just got to get over this. So, we got to okay. get over the fact that, you know, there, there are unwritten rules. It's like some unwritten rules make sense. Hitting a home run off a position player, don't put the position player in the game to pitch if you don't want him to get shelled. It's like, what should we, should, should we be bunting? Should we just let him throw, strike everybody out? It's like, make sure, throw in a guy, throw in a relief pitcher and tell him, hey, you're pitching the rest of the game regardless. I don't care what happens. Just, just you're throwing until we're over here. You only have to make it nine innings. If you're down 15 runs, you have to make it nine innings. So, yeah, that uh, that whole on. argument just makes me mad too. I'm not going to go down there. You, you just got a little riled up there, Donnie. So we'll just move on at this point. A <laughs> uh, couple more questions from Scott, and then we got a few others before we wrap things up. So next one, Scott says, Another Indy 500, and Scott Dixon has not won. As consolation, he still holds the record for the most second-place finishes. So Scott asked us about Scott Dixon a year ago or or last year for the Indy 500, and he always gets second place, but he's never won. So, yeah, there you go. I didn't watch the Indy 500. I'm not going to pretend like I did or know anything about IndyCar, but, yeah, unfortunate for Scott Dixon, another L. He's kind of like the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Yeah, we here do not watch. I, I I didn't know anything about anything here. Um. You know, I, I do know, I think he was the pole, like he, he was the number one coming into the race, so it's like he, he was maybe the favorite or one of the favorites, but, you know, hey, Tough. he'll get one eventually, just, you know, Keep he, grinding. it could be worse. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's all, like, it's all like, even when you get second place, it's not like you're losing a sale, you're still making money, you're still having, like, you're still cashing out, it's not like you, you get second place, you get nothing, and you have to go walk of shame, it's like second place is still pretty good in an Indy 500 race when you're considered one of the best racers in, yeah. your, in your sport. Shout out to Scott for, for re-bringing this up from a year ago. Maybe one year Scott will ask us this and be like, hey, Scott Dixon finally won, and, and we can give him a shout. But can't happen right now, so tough on that one. Uh, last question from Scott. This is a funny one. Uh, he says, I feel like no hitters are a major accomplishment in baseball for a player and should be rewarded for it by getting fantasy or 50 points in fantasy baseball. You agree? What do you think, Donnie? <laughs> we've we've been over this before, so so <laughs> I am I am a a I call them it's like BS points that they're bullshit points. It's like as much as as much as it's fun and you know exciting and all. If you're gonna put money in a fantasy league, you shouldn't get any extra points for getting when you already get points on top of the points that you're getting. You know, it's just like it's excessive. Um, Scotty G, you can you can suck a fat one. I don't want to hear your your questions will not be answered on any podcast that I Scott, host. So just not even know. a member of our fantasy baseball league. Not even he, a member still, of the league. He's getting in the beef of our of our no hitter argument. There's a reason you're not a member of the league, Scott. There's a reason, <laughs> and this is why. This right here is why. You punk. Here's what I'll say as commissioner. We bumped it down to 10 points. I consulted everyone in the league, and there was a consensus that we can make it 10 points for a no-hitter. So 
That's how we resolved that Yeah, there's issue. been like 14 no-hitters this year, dude. Like, what been do you want to say? I picked up Wade Miley. He had a good outing again today, so shout out to the no-hitter guys. But there you go. Good questions from the Roth Podcast listener captain, of course, Scott, Scotty G. As I mentioned, follow him on Instagram, at ScottyG250. He always posts polls on his Instagram page, so if that's something that you're into, Scott's the man for that. So good man. Definitely give him a shout. Always ask us a bunch of questions, so we definitely appreciate it. All right. Couple more questions for this podcast. Everyone else just asks one question. Scott just kind of goes ham, but we kind of allow it to happen sometimes. This next one comes from Trey at Trey underscore Godbolt on Twitter. Kind of an interesting conversation here. He says, if you had the first overall pick and had the chance to pick a kicker that had a 100% chance of making that kick from any range, do you take him? And I think this is kind of where we could do the comparison. It's like, would you take this kicker? who no matter where you are in the field, they're making the field goal. You could literally, there would be a touchback and there's a 100% chance that he's making the kick. So we're really valuing the kicking game here. Or would you take a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who's just a great quarterback prospect? So Donnie, we had this conversation briefly a while ago. Let's hear it again. Well, uh, so so my thought process here is basically you can get a um, you can get a kicker that's going to make it anytime. So you're never going to punt. So you don't need to pay a punter, um, which is a, a big W. And then you can add, there are always league average or, or less than league average quarterbacks out there that will do a decent job, like an Alex Smith or Ryan Fitzpatrick type player. Um, if you do compare that, him plus kicker that always makes, so he's going to make multiple 80, 90 yarders in a year, you know, it's, he's going to save you out a lot of trouble. You literally, at the end of the game, if you're if you're down by one or two, you're literally never going to lose games, right. um, which, is, which is huge compared to a quarterback that will, he's going to do a lot for you. Um, you know, it, it's a tough one. I'm definitely going to pick the kicker. I think the kicker, just in, in general, um, we talked about this. I think we averaged like 10 possessions a game. I think that's, that's what we said. Yeah. Uh, 9, 10, 10 possessions a game. Sounds about so right. So you're, you're guaranteed, at least I'd say, considering your quarterback probably turns the ball over once a game because he's not great, you're guaranteed at least 24 to 27 points a game out of your kicker. Uh, and that's obviously, you know, the quarterback could end up doing things positive. You could have a nice running back that can get you points too. So let's say you're guaranteed 30 points a game. If you said an NFL team was guaranteed 30 points a game and they didn't even have to do anything, like that you could just build yeah. defense, you'd probably never lose. Yeah. No, you, you really broke that down well. I think that it's very accurate. I was initially on the reaction that I was like, I would take Trevor Lawrence. I still think that would be kind of weird. Like, give me the quarterback. You know, they have a, they have a chance of producing more points. You know, six points. That's a touchdown. That's double what you can get out of a kicker. But, right, you have a 100% chance of making it. So uh, you would need a quarterback that would get you a guaranteed touchdown more than every other possession uh, in order for that to be worth it. So it is a very funny, interesting conversation. Like, why would there ever be a kicker that, like, it's impossible for them to miss? Like, we're, we're imagining situations in, like, Buffalo – where there's like 60 mile an hour winds and he's drilling them from 90 <laughs> yards away every single His time like zone. he doesn't miss <laughs> yeah like that would just be such an absurd situation that you had a you had this unbelievable god kicker where he where he would never miss from no matter the yardage so i mean i could never imagine that but that's pretty hilarious that we saw that on twitter the tracer that one with me so definitely a funny it's a ball. great question it, it's an yeah. absolutely fantastic question I know. Then my kind of follow-up on that was like, how much is this guy getting on the open market? Like, the team that drafts him, like, they're like, yeah, we like it, but this guy's going to ask for a lot of money. Like, Court Patrick Mahomes asked for, like, $40 million. Like, this guy's going to ask for, like, $60, 70000000 million. Like, you got to think. But that's the thing. You know, like, you know, you can you can cheap out on the offensive line. You can cheap out on your receivers. Yeah. So, Just you, give me you know, a defense. That's it. Just force, like, three turnovers a game, and we're good. <laughs> absolutely. As long as your defense can hold them to 24 points or less a game. I yeah. think you win. You win fourteen to fifteen games a year, and you win the Super Bowl at I, least ten times. I would want to see it. We got to we got to try that out in Madden sometime when we do our franchise. We just we just like all max get out. <laughs> we just all get ninety nine kickers. 
Max <laughs> out to get power. Put the sliders up. That'd be good, actually. That would be so funny. <laughs> that's a that's a good summer task. We gotta do that this summer, but when when Madden's all trash and there's nothing to play in the summer. That so we got MLB though. MLB on Xbox. That's a big win. I know you and Scotty have been grinding that. Absolutely. All right. Good question from Trey. Move on in this podcast. This next one comes from our friend Eric at Eric eighteen Utah on Twitter, and he said, "Boys, what's the deal with Tristan Yari? I can't get a read on him in the series that was still what that was going on. We had a little Yari discussion in our intro, but again, Tristan Yari kind of came up short in the playoffs at an eight eighty eight save percentage and uh, was not really up to par for the Islanders and uh, kind of held back the Penguins a little bit. So obviously, interesting situation when you really kind of think about the Penguins goalie situation because obviously they had Flurry for so long and then they had Flurry and Murray and then Yari was kind of showing up, so they got rid of Flurry." and then they ended up getting rid of Murray. All these guys' names sound the same. But anyways, they only keep really Tristan Yari at this point, and um, he was kind of coming up short. So it'll be interesting to see where they go. Do you think they add a goalie this offseason, Donnie, or, or where do you think kind of things go from here between uh, Yari and the Penguins' goalie situation? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Um, there was an article in the Pittsburgh Gazette, I think, um, by Scott Rorabaugh from the Athletic or Ex-Athletic writer, he also mentioned that they traded Philip Gustafson, who was a very uh, a high goalie pick um, in 2017, maybe, um, who is now playing for the Senators with Murray. He's, he's out there grinding away. Um, who all, That guy, um, very, very highly respected, uh, highly touted by just about everybody that did prospect analysis and rankings, too. So they have really just thrown all the chips in on Jari, and it just hasn't worked out, as obviously... Um, you, you would have to think that they're going to stick with him, you know, mostly because, you know, cap, that's how it works. You're not going to be able to be able to move him. Um, but, yeah, it's really hard to, to consider. Like, if you had given this team an average goaltender, like, let's say you gave the Penguins a Braden Holtby in, or, or another goalie in free, just like Markstrom, for example, I don't think there's any way they lose that series, or at least the series is very, very – it's much closer. It's considerably more close. Um and again, it's like the Penguins, if you're a Penguins fan, you can't complain about anything anymore. I don't want to hear it. You've seen so much success, and, and you know, you have Sidney Crosby sitting there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's I don't think I've seen, there's never ever really been a series you can solely pinpoint on one player, and it ended up being the goaltender, which is not really, not, not somebody that you would necessarily consider. Usually when you pinpoint a series being won because of a certain player, it's because of an offensive player who goes off, not a goaltender who can't make saves. Um I don't know. The Penguins are in a really bad cap situation, so them adding a goaltender is probably not feasible. But yeah, you have to think if this is what's holding them back, and they're watching Mark Andre Fleury play absolutely incredible hockey in Vegas, they have they're sitting there very depressed. Yeah, I definitely think that's good analysis. And yeah, as you said, the Penguins are right up against the cap. So uh, Yari, given that he's signed until 2023, a couple more years, they really only have uh, Casey to Smith as another guy that would be a solid option for them to, to play next year that he's under contract. So I think Yari's going to hang around. He's still only 26 years old. Maybe he kind of figures it out. But yeah, it was kind of a tough situation there for him in this series uh, and in the playoffs so far in his career. So uh, still a young goalie, though, for, for his sake. 26 years old definitely is still a goalie in development. So um, we'll see if he's able to kind of rectify things in the next few years or if the penguins are just more screwed i don't know could be one of the two a couple of first round exits in a row for the penguins so uh we'll move on here one more kind of hockey question as we kind of wrap things up and then we'll have one more question before we wrap it up this next one comes from our friend kirk and they sent us a poll that was do you want jim benning back as the canucks gm and there was eleven thousand votes and 84 percent said no so yeah i mean jim benning he's been with the canucks since 2014-15 and the canucks have only won one playoff series and that was last year in the bubble so I mean, I think there's definitely a fair knock that, hey, you need to put the results together. 
I will say, I think that Jim Bunning has done some okay things while with the with the Canucks. I think taking Quinn Hughes was obviously a good selection. Elias Pettersson, I think they've definitely done a better job at drafting some of these more high-skilled players rather than just going after guys with size that I feel like uh, we always can kind of make fun of Western Canada for. But um, I do think maybe it might be time for the Canucks to move on from Jim Benning, just given the fact that they haven't had a ton of success uh, missing the playoffs for the last five years, and then this year uh, would be added on to that as well. Yeah, see, I thought the Canucks would be one of two teams that would be very hard, uh, hard pressed to get. First off, JD John Davidson from the Rangers, and then Jeff Gordon. Uh, both of those guys have been fired recently. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, I thought that would have been a great um, upward movement for them, but uh, obviously Davidson ended up in Columbus. We're really not sure what Gordon's doing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if you're after seeing what they did last offseason and seeing you know obviously Tyler Toffoli is gone, which is shocking considering they paid a hefty premium to get him and then just didn't even bother trying to re-sign him, which is not, not really something that you're looking for. And then they, they let Markstrom walk. You know, it's like we, we've seen the team kind of decline in talent a little bit, and obviously they've had a tough year. This year was very, very strange, and I don't think that he will be gone considering, you know, COVID and everything. This is a very, very hard year to judge a team's progress on, especially considering the Canucks were better the last couple of years, I think you could say. Um, but yeah, in general... Having a hockey GM that does not do the right job or makes poor moves or just ignores the fact that they have to, you know, you have to improve year by year is, is tough. Obviously, the drafting, you know, it's probably the drafting is going to end up saving his job, I think. And I think you probably agree with that as you named a couple great names before. It's like they've nailed on their picks multiple times. And, you know, we're going to see we're going to see Pod Colson come over, who, who will probably be a very, very talented piece. Um, but, yeah, you have to sit there and. I maybe not feel bad for Canucks fans because they do have a good future, but you know when you trade pieces, the one thing that makes me more angry than anything is when teams trade pieces and don't work on signing those pieces back. It's like we're going to see it um, quite a few times, I think, in this offseason, especially the Islanders are not going to keep Paul Mary, for example. There's, there's no chance there. The cap is going to be very, very tough for them. Um, and, but there are multiple teams that do that. Um, you know, just saying, oh, we're yeah. going to... I, I mean, Tyler Toffoli for Vancouver, that would be a prime example of that. Yeah, and it's exactly what happened. And I mean, we're seeing Tavoli had a fantastic year in Montreal, who is not any better than the Canucks are offensively. I would say the Canucks' offense is probably better than Montreal's, is all things considered. And Tavoli likely would have put up similar numbers, if not better numbers, with Vancouver this year. So you have to sit there and really be just like it's more of just a I hate everything. This is awful. I really do not like what what direction we're going in, rather than a. Um, he's ruined this team. He's really brought us to the brink because it's like you're not like you're not Columbus. It's like Columbus makes trades and then the players are talking about Patrick Linus saying, "I hate hockey. I don't want to play hockey anymore. I'm done with this. I'm not going to the world because I'm depressed about playing hockey." Like you know, at that point, it's just you had a tough year and COVID didn't help. I think that's the big thing, and, and I think most fans, I I would say there's not. It's hard to find a fan base that really actually likes their GM. Like there's probably like five or ten fan bases that can say like majority actually enjoy what their GMs are doing, and the rest are sitting there. Like even with the Blackhawks, for example, Stan Bowman. It's like I think most Blackhawks fans have turned on Stan Bow at this point. Um, yeah, and that's how. It well, goes. it's kind of even rectifying. It, it was like that definitely for a while, and um, the, but now I think you know Bowman's made a little bit better moves as sure. of late. Uh, sure. been a little bit more transparent about kind of the direction of the team but kind of just going back to betting I mean I've kind of definitely taken my shots at Jim Benning and I feel like the Canucks have definitely done some things that it's like hey they haven't had playoff success like that's an issue like Jim Benning's been there a while and they really haven't ever been a serious contender like that that's not good 
obviously. So uh, you need someone to be held accountable for, and he's gone through a couple of different head coaches already. So, I mean, what, what's the issue here? But um, I think it, it probably will be time for Vancouver to move on. You know, will it end up happening this offseason? I don't know. I mean, obviously their ownership is very loyal to him. So um, it was interesting to see that pull, though. From also, I think that is definitely a fair knock. One more thing to add, it is a very short offseason this year. We are going to see some incredible turnaround from, from this offseason or from this playoff into the offseason. I think, like, the, the, for example, the draft order comes up very soon, and then we have a, an, an entire expansion draft, which is, you know, as exciting as anything is in the sport. Um, but So, yeah, I think that probably plays into the, the process a little bit too. Yeah, very fair. All right, good conversation there on different things going on in hockey. Kind of really wrap up a, a lot of sports conversation, which was good to hit. We have one more question on this podcast. This one comes from my sister Kira at KiraK320 on Instagram. And she says, what part of your life would you highlight in the movie of your life? And what genre would it be? So, Donnie, I'll let you answer here first. Um, I had to think about this one a little bit. I would probably say the last, like, I don't know, like decade or so, I mean, I've moved around a lot. So I started off in California, and then I was in Pittsburgh for a while, and then I was in Jersey. Now I'm in Denver. There's been a lot of fuckery in between there. Um, it'd be really hard to put a specific uh, genre on it. It's not an action movie, that's for sure. I don't really, not, not, I'm, I'm not out here fighting zombies or whatever. I'm, I'm not shooting guns. Uh, I probably end up saying that like the last ten years of my life, and then end up, it'd probably be a comedy because my life is just it's a joke sometimes. Just the, some, of the, <laughs> some some of the shit that happens, man. It's just it's ridiculous. We get to a point where I can't catch a break, and then you know, at currently my situation, I can't catch a break. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of adversity, but you know, we still try to laugh here. So I'll call it a comedy. And and at that point, there you I, go. Uh, what else do I got? That's a, that's a good answer, Donnie. I was going to say, similarly, I was actually going to say the part of my life that I would highlight is like from today forward. I think that's the most exciting because then we can go through it together. Oh my gosh, how, how great. I feel like we've been asked a similar question like that before, but I'm highlighting what's going on right now, the present. That's what I'm highlighting in a movie about my life because why not? Why, you know, like I already know what happened, you know, before. I might as well find out what happens next. So I'm going with the present for where we're highlighting in my life. And I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I was going to say comedy just because, like, hopefully it has a lot of laughs. Like, you know, Donnie, we, we have a lot of laughs. <laughs> it's a very wholesome answer. We're just hanging out, hanging out together and, you know, making memories, you know, talking to each other. You know, it's good stuff. Why, why, why can't we all join in and, and enjoy it together? I think that's a comedy. We're all, we're all laughing together. That is a, extremely wholesome from you. I, 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 I respect you. it. I respect <laughs> it. Good stuff. All right. Thank you for that question, Kira. It's been an awesome podcast. We talked about a lot of stuff that we haven't been able to talk about for a little bit of a while. We're kind of waiting for these NHL series and also some other stuff that is going on for Donnie and I. So it was great to get back on the mic. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. End of the podcast, folks. You guys are always the best. Always got to give you guys a shout out for those who have been able to listen all the way through. I'll turn it over to Donnie to wrap things up here. Yeah, you know, so uh, obviously this was a very hockey-related podcast. We'll get into other sports um, when things start happening. Obviously, basketball playoffs are going on right now, but it's very quiet and not a whole lot going on. Basketball playoffs in general are just considerably more boring than, than other sports are. So if you were wondering where the basketball playoffs are, I don't think RK or I really went out to talk about a series that are currently in Game 3, Game 4. Um, but yeah, uh, Shaq Wes, talk about basketball. You know, you and, you and Jay Cole are off, you know, creating your own careers in basketball overseas. You know, definitely respect but Shaq or, or Jermaine, if you want to get on the podcast, I think Shaq West is probably more likely considering J. Cole is, I uh, just released an album, you know, he's probably pretty busy. Uh, but if Shaq West wants Fire to get on the album. podcast, he is always uh, welcome. But yeah, we really uh, appreciate the questions. There were a lot of good questions here. Um, Scotty, you know, don't ever talk to me again. Other than that, 
Um, I hope everybody has a great <laughs> rest of your week, weekend, whatever, whatever's going on, and we will see you again soon. Peace, everybody. Peace. Feel how you feel, feel how you feel, feel up your cup, and tell me how you feel. Peel at the peel, peel at the peel, wop at the wop, pop at the pop, pop, move it, make a film, move it, film at the film, got bills and they clean, clean, run through the machine.